Jesus teaches about divorce. When Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went into the region of Judea on the other side of the river Jordan. Large crowds followed him and he healed them there. Some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man gave his wife a certificate of divorce and sent her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard, but it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you this, that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. The disciples said to him, If this is a situation between a husband and wife, it's better not to marry. Jesus replied, Not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born that way, and there are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by others. And there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this teaching, do so. Here ends this morning's reading. Amen. Now, before we look at God's word this morning, shall we just join together in prayer? Let's just pray. Heavenly Father, this morning's passage is a difficult one. It will cause many questions. It will cause much searching of our hearts. It will stir our emotions. And yet, Lord God, we recognize this is your word. Help us to humbly submit ourselves to your word. And help us to be gracious with one another. And I ask that you would particularly give me the right words to speak this morning. So, Father, go before us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm sure at one time or another that we have been to a wedding. If not our own, then a family member's or a friend's wedding. It's a joyful occasion, I hope. We see the groom at the front looking uh, handsome, especially if he's wearing a kilt, smartly dressed, perhaps a little nervous. And then we have the entrance of the bride, don't we? The perfectly fitted dress, beautiful as she makes her way down the aisle. And then the husband-to-be turns around and just sees her. And there's that moment, isn't there, between husband and wife, anticipation of what is ahead. 
We see the couple look at each other, the joy and the love. There's so much hope at a wedding, isn't there? So much expectation. However, the sad reality is that between 40 to 50% of marriages will end in divorce. Will end in divorce. Now we come to today's passage in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 19. And I certainly come with it to this passage today with a certain reticence because of the pastoral sensitivity of a passage like the one before us. You see, when I say that for between 40 and 50% of marriages end in divorce, I'm not excluding Christian marriages from that. And there will be barely a person here today that will not have been affected by divorce, either directly or indirectly, either yourself or someone in your family. And so as we come to this topic today, we need to come to it with pastoral sensitivity and all humility and with a recognition that we all fail. We're all sinners and we all need the grace of God. Now, to be quite honest with you this morning, this is one of these passages that in some ways I'd rather not preach on. I would rather have skated over it and gone on to Matthew chapter 20. That's far easier. But we all come under the authority of the Word of God. We all have to take it seriously, and it's important that we do so. And so we are going to look at this passage this morning. Now, this is going to be a a sermon that's full of disclaimers all the way through it. Okay, you be, be aware of that. It's also not going to be a comprehensive set. What can I do in 25 minutes? There will be questions at the end of this sermon. There is no doubt about that. There are some things that I say this morning you might find hard to deal with. But I ask that you at least stick with me until the end. That's all I ask this morning. And if you do have questions, more than happy to have a conversation afterwards. Now, our passage today in Matthew chapter 19 begins with Jesus leaving Galilee and going into the region of Judea. Now, incidentally, Jesus will not come back to Galilee until post the resurrection. So Jesus is now on the way to Jerusalem. Now, we've hopefully planned this series so that we will reach Palm Sunday when we actually, you know, at the triumphal entry. That's been the aim that we're going to get there on at that time. So Jesus is now on his way to Jerusalem. The road to the cross begins here. And we're told in this passage that large crowds follow Jesus. And then some Pharisees come to test him. Now, this is crucial in terms of our understanding in this passage. Because the Pharisees were always looking for a way to trap Jesus. They were always looking to to see what Jesus was saying to see if they could trap him. That's always what they were trying to do. And so they come before Jesus and they ask him a question. And the question's a loaded one. They ask, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Now, the reason that that is a loaded question is because this was something that was already being debated by the Pharisees based on an interpretation of Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1 and forward. And the key word 
in Deuteronomy 24 is, is the word indecent. Because it's written in Deuteronomy 24 that a man could divorce his wife if he finds something indecent about her. Now, there were two schools of thought around this passage. And they were based around two rabbis who were contemporaries of Jesus. One was named Hillel and the other Shammai. And there were firstly those who followed the Hillel, Hillel school of thought. And this was a, a liberal school of thought where, where a man, and it is a man who's in sight here, could divorce his wife for pretty much any reason. That was the interpretation of that word indecent. And yes, that would include adultery, but it could also include things that were much more trivial. So if, if the wife had put too much dinner, uh, too much salt in the dinner, then that could have been a reason for divorce and other trivial matters. So the Hillel, Hillel um, view of things was that for any trivial matter there could be divorce. The Shammai school was much stricter and suggested that the word indecent means unchastity. And so the Pharisees are trying to trap Jesus into coming down one way or the other. Do you agree with Hillel or do you agree with Shammai? Now what's interesting here, and I hope you notice this, is that Jesus doesn't answer their question about divorce directly you notice that? Instead, what does he do? He focuses on the nature of marriage. That's what he does. Because Jesus goes back right to the beginning, to the book of Genesis, chapter 1 and chapter 2, to the foundations to show that marriage is a creation principle. Now, this is something that's really important, actually, isn't it? Because sometimes we might think that marriage is, is man-made, a human institution. We hear sometimes contemporary pop songs saying, you know, I don't, I don't need a bit of paper to say I'm committed to someone in love. But marriage is not a man-made institution. Marriage is a creation principle. And that's why Jesus goes back to Genesis 1 and 2 and shows what God's purposes were for marriage from the very dawn of creation. That God made them male and female, that they will leave father and mother and be united and become one flesh. And Jesus says, what God has joined together, let no one separate. That's something that happens, of course, in some of the wording that's in the marriage ceremony. So marriage, what Jesus is saying here is marriage comes from God. It's a creation ordinance, and not just for believers, but for everyone, absolutely everyone. And when man and woman come together in marriage, there's something unique and special that happens. They become one flesh. There's a joining together that Jesus says no one, not husband or wife or any third party, should separate. Now, there's just one thing that I should say here and reluctantly say because this is a contemporary issue in the Church of Scotland and in the Anglican Church and other denominations too at this time. 
And that's to note that when Jesus mentions marriage here, it's male and female, it's husband and wife. Now, obviously, there's been a lot of debate in the church about same-sex marriage. Now, I don't really want to get into the details of that, and at all times, we must show understanding and compassion and grace. But the fact is that for 19 and a half centuries, the church has been clear as to what marriage is, that it's between a man and a woman. Indeed, this remains the theological understanding of both the Church of Scotland and the Church of England. That is the orthodox position. And that understanding comes from a passage like the one before us in Matthew 19. Because if you believe God's word to be the word of God, it takes an awful lot of exegetical and theological gymnastics to get around a passage like this, which states that marriage is between a man and a woman. Because the fact is, same-sex relationships were known in Jesus' day. To deny this would be, as C.S. Lewis called it, chronological snobbery, i.e. assuming we know better now than they did back in the day. And we're superior to that view back in the past. Same-sex relationships were clearly something that happened in Jesus' day. And yet, Jesus goes back to Genesis to remind the Pharisees what marriage is, male and female. And of course, we know that in Ephesians, that Paul says marriage is actually just a picture of a further reality. What is that further reality? It's Christ and the church. So Jesus defines what marriage is. And he links it to being a creation ordinance, something that's from God and not from man. And anything that falls short of this is simply not marriage. Now, please don't misunderstand me this morning. Do we treat those who have same-sex attraction with compassion and respect? Absolutely. Has the church done well with those who struggle with their sexuality and try to show understanding? No, the church has not always done well. And in all these things, we must be aware that we are all sinners who are undeserving of God's grace, and yet God has shown grace to us. And we are called to reach out in compassion and grace as God has to us. We're not to beat people over the head with our, our perceived theological correctness. I will think more about that as we get further on in our sermon. So what we need to see is Jesus defines what marriage is. And he goes all the way back to creation. That's where he goes. And the Pharisees then come back with a question, which is a legitimate question. Why then did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Now, Jesus' answer to this is very revealing, isn't it? Because he points out that the permission that Moses gave to, gave to divorce was because of hard hearts. But there was not this way at the beginning, i.e., Jesus is again pointing out the Genesis account. He's like, you know, Moses just did that as a concession. 
Because your hearts were hard. And we know, if we know the story of the people of Israel, their hearts were always hard. It's a concession. But Jesus says, that's not the way it was meant to be. And then Jesus makes clear what his view is. He says, I tell you, if anyone divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman, they commit adultery. And so Jesus only allows divorce because of sexual infidelity. Now note here that Hillel and Shammai agreed that sexual infidelity required divorce. But I want you to notice something slightly different with Jesus. Because Jesus merely permits divorce. He doesn't require it. If there's sexual infidelity, it's not required that you get divorced. Space is left open for forgiveness and reconciliation. And so what we need to see is Jesus is clear in his teaching. But he's clearly more stringent than Hillel, especially, or Shammai for that matter. Now, as Jesus comes with this teaching, saying, look, this is a creation principle. What God has put together, let no man separate. And the only time that divorce should ever be even contemplated as if one party is unfaithful. It's little wonder, therefore, that the disciples are thinking, wow, hold on a second, it might be better not to marry. Because that's what they come up with in our passage, isn't it? And Jesus then goes on to speak about singleness and celibacy, either forced or voluntary, for the sake of the kingdom. Now, we don't have time to go on about this today. That would be for another time. But I want just to note that being single does not mean that anyone is a second-class citizen or incomplete. Look at Jesus himself. Now, what are we to make of what Jesus says about marriage and divorce today? Well, I want to make two points. The, The first is about marriage. Jesus takes marriage seriously. He takes marriage seriously. How seriously do we take marriage? You see, we might have a a, a wry grin at Hillel and his followers that thought that divorce could happen just because of a bad meal or, or something was unpleasing to them. But is that not exactly how today's culture often treats marriage? Is that not the case? They treat it as a A contract. And not a covenant. Something that they can later back out of if they don't particularly like it. What is it that we see in these celebrity weddings? We see prenuptial agreements. Why would you make a prenuptial agreement if you're thinking that your marriage is going to be forever and ever? You wouldn't do such a thing. I have spent time with couples who have fallen out of love, who have claimed irreconcilable differences whose heads have been turned by a a third party because their spouse is getting older and gravity is beginning to take its toll as it does to us all is that not just the same as Hillel really for any and every reason now don't get me wrong here I'm not talking about marriages where there's abuse Marriages where there's violence, again, that's for another day. 
I'm also not suggesting that marriage is easy. Anyone who's married here today will know that marriage is not easy. But I asked the question this morning, do we take marriage too lightly? You see, when we say for better or for worse, do we mean it? For richer, for poorer, do we mean it? In sickness and in health, do we mean it? Until death do us part, do we mean it? Now, I'm not suggesting today that anyone who goes down the aisle and gets married, I'm sure most have the best of intentions. But I know for myself there have been people that have come to me to get married. And maybe I should have been a bit firmer. Do you really know what you're getting into? Maybe you as a parent know that you should have spoken to your son or your daughter and said, do you really know what you're getting into? Are you really committed to it? You see, what I believe Jesus is saying is that in Christian marriage, divorce is not on the table. It isn't a possibility even. Because this is two people coming together, one flesh, and committing for lifelong union. You see, is it not a wonderful thing to see a couple who've been married for 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, 60 years, who've been faithful to the promises that they have made to each other, who've committed to each other in the ups and in the downs, the good times and the bad. You see, thinking through all this has made me think this week over those people I've done weddings for in the past, particularly those who've subsequently divorced. Have I truly prepared them for what is ahead? Are they really truly committed? No reservations, no retreats. Jesus takes marriage seriously, and so should we. Now, the last thing today is this, and thank you for staying with me this morning. Maybe we've been speaking about divorce today, and it's been painful. It's painful because you've gone through a divorce, or more than one divorce, or there's been divorce in your family, and it's caused bitterness and pain. But let me tell you something. What Jesus holds up for us today is what marriage should be about. And he shows us that divorce isn't in the plan, though permitted if there's been sexual immorality. But if you've been affected by divorce today or adultery, I want to ask you a question this morning. And the question is this. Is divorce or adultery the unforgivable sin? Is it? No, of course it isn't. Of course it isn't. You see, we all have our failings, the things that we regret in our lives, things that have happened in our lives that we wish hadn't happened. We're all frail humanity who get things wrong. And never let us think that we are beyond the love of Jesus. You see, Jesus is holding up marriage to be a wonderful thing, a creation, ordinance, marriage the way that God intended it. And we know that we live, don't we, in a, in a broken world where things go wrong and where we sin. Is there a way back for us? Of course there is. Of course there is. 
Remember the story of the woman caught in adultery in John chapter 8. You know the story? Remember that this woman was caught in adultery and she was surrounded by the Pharisees and, and brought to Jesus and the Pharisees had already picked up rocks ready to stone this woman because of her adultery. What did Jesus say? He says to the Pharisees, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Now what happened in that story? Well, slowly, one by one, the Pharisees put down their rocks and they left. And they left until who was left there? Just the woman and Jesus. Why did the Pharisees leave? Because none of them was without sin. Now, of course, in that story, there is one there who was without sin. You ever thought about that? Jesus was there. He's the one that we believe had no sin. He's the one who could have condemned the woman if he wanted to. But does he? What does Jesus do? Well, the crowd's dispersed. The Pharisees are gone. And Jesus is left with, with the woman. And he says to the woman, where are you? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. And what does Jesus say? Two important things. The first is this. Then neither do I condemn you. Jesus shows mercy. He shows mercy. Why? Because that's the kind of God that we have. He doesn't beat the woman over the head with theological correctness. Instead, what does he do? He forgives. And that's a real lesson for us this morning as well, isn't it? When we get it wrong, when we fall into sin, he's willing to forgive us. Even when it comes to adultery, even when it comes to divorce, he's willing to forgive us. We can start afresh and anew. All he asks is the second thing. Because what does Jesus say to the woman? Go now and leave your life of sin. Leave your life of sin. Jesus asks for repentance, to turn away from sin. And as we do so, he forgives us. You see, there is a place for asking for forgiveness for moving on into the future, for turning over a new leaf. Because why? We are imperfect people who are living imperfect lives. But when we repent, it's never too late to live a God-honoring life. So today, let's see how highly Jesus regards marriage, a creation ordinance, a reflection of Christ and the church, let us never take it lightly. And those times when things have gone wrong, those times when there has been unfaithfulness, those times when there has been divorce, let us never believe that we're too far from God's grace. He is willing to forgive us if only we come to him in repentance and in faith. Shall we just pray together? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, there is so much in this passage this morning. 
so much that might cause us heartache. And yet, Lord God, we are so grateful that you're a God of forgiveness and a God of grace. And we come before you humbly this morning, Heavenly Father, because we are an imperfect people. We so often fall into sin. And sometimes, Lord God, we, we recognize that there is brokenness in our lives brokenness in our families' lives, things that are happening in our lives that we didn't want to be that way, and yet they've turned out that way. And sometimes it's because of our own sin. Sometimes it's because of the sin of someone else in our family. But Lord God, we pray this morning, as Jesus shows us what true marriage is, the glory of true marriage, a man and a woman joined together becoming one flesh, that this is a creation ordinance, that, Lord God, even when things go wrong, where separation and divorce happens, that, Lord God, we are never too far from you, that we're never too far from your forgiveness, never too far from your grace. Father, we're not... And sometimes we can be guilty of this in the church. We can beat each other over the head with our theological correctness. We know that the Pharisees were keen to do this. But we see in that final story that we thought about in John chapter 8, how Jesus holds to his principles, but he also shows understanding and mercy and grace. And we pray as a church family, that we might be characterized by holding firmly to the truth and yet being a people who show compassion, understanding, grace, forgiveness. And that we might do so humbly because we recognize all that you have forgiven us. So, Lord God, we ask that you would speak to our hearts today. And if we've been wounded by your word today, we ask for your healing. We ask for your closeness. We ask for your love. For we pray these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.